Podcast Network. You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Oh, I I do not like judging amateur comedy competitions. I don't like so much biting of the tongue for you. There's just I something we just said in the last episode we recorded. You that feeling when there's something that you want to talk about and you don't talk about you're not that's off the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I can't do anything. If there's something that's on my mind and that's off we're not for whatever reason Either it's like inappropriate time to bring up or uh, we're not supposed to talk about it or something like what happens a lot with me and Jessa is like we can't record a fucking podcast uh, if there's something else on our mind. Like we can't just turn that off and just start. It's just it feels it feels terrible. It feels, feels forced. feels awkward. Fake. Yeah. Yeah. So in general, I don't want to talk to anyone about their comedy. Uh, really, I don't. Uh, I would like a a friend, a close friend. I could do that with because you can't have an honest conversation. Oh, question mark. Is it because <laughs> you can't have an honest conversation, or is it just a general disinterest in other people's comedy? Uh, I think it's probably both. It's but I mean, no, it's mostly it's mostly that you can't be honest. You can't have an authentic conversation without offending the ego of the other comedian. But also, what's the point, seriously, what's the point of talking to a stranger about their comedy? There isn't, I don't see one. Like, my friends and I, we can get deep into their jokes and we can talk about how it could be better and what blah, blah, blah. But, like, uh, just some person that I see their set, it's difficult for me to then, like, get in and talk shop with them because I don't know them. It feels too personal, feels whatever. Uh, So here's a bunch of strangers and... Uh, so we I don't also know. don't have permission to be honest. We're just supposed to say nice things. Yeah, well, I don't know. The first year that I judged, this is at Boise's Funniest Person. The first year that I judged was the year Tabitha left me. And I was... Uh, I, <laughs> Two months after she left, you judged a comedy competition? Yeah, it was my friends Jinx and Alicia were like, baby, come back to Boise. Because I was just like lost. I needed something to do. So come to Boise. We'll give you we'll let you be a judge and you can hang out with us. And I said, thank you so much. So it wasn't in the best place. So I was a little bit meaner. And I like, ever since then I've joked about how I want to be the Simon, but like, I've never had the heart to actually do it since then. Right. The first year that I did it, I said, um, to the first guy who's, so here's the thing, go back. Like they're, they're strangers and they're bad at comedy. Like they're, they're brand new. They're brand fucking new. So like they're, would you, they, they want comedians to be the judges cause they know, but it's like, what, what is the point of saying anything? Like they don't, and we have like 30 seconds for all the judges to say something in total. Yeah. So I would the, love for us to not have to say anything and just judge the comedy competition without talking. Right. They never turn the spotlight on us. Uh, Jess would be a lot happier. Hell but yeah. But if they, um, 
you should tune into Patreon to hear us tell the story about the spotlight at the comedy competition. Uh, it's it's a it's a well, no, it's just like all of our stories. It's really sad and only funny to us. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's so sad though. We're not putting it on the regular. <laughs> um, yeah, like it would be so much better if we didn't have to talk. But they do want you to talk. And they say, and they frame it as what's like, how, what did you think of the set? But in truth, they don't really want you to say that. They want you to tell a joke. Like there's, there's a non-comic judge who is perfect for it because she just like says something funny to the contestants each time. And I kept trying to say something funny to the contestants, but I can't think of anything funny because all I can think of is the thing that I'm not allowed to say. Like right. I can't. When, on the times that I did have feedback for people, like there's, there were t like you don't you don't have the space to actually get into it. Like this one guy, I'd be like, dude, you are fantastic. I want to talk about this joke that you did at the end because your order is all wrong. This should obviously be the first because you know uh, in jokes of the rule of three, you list things out. You know, right. I was like, you put your funniest one first and you're wrong the, the, and you put your weakest one last and that's dead wrong like if you switch this order up that's going to be a much better joke but that's not the time or place to get into that so i just say some some basic uh great delivery yeah great you're wonderful and then someone awful comes up and like i give them the exact same comments after the set and i'm like hey Sucks. uh you know you had great personality the audience really liked you and i just feel uh so annoyed so so annoyed but then the other the non-comic lady uh she would just overdo it man and she would just be like no matter what happens do never stop doing comedy and i'd be like that's bad <laughs> advice for every person within earshot you can stop doing comedy whenever you want don't tell them that like, we're both like on the brink like, of quitting she would, she would be like uh I've never, I've never seen anyone do that. And I'm like, watch comedy. What are you talking? <laughs> why are you filling this person's head with this idea that they are Dave Chappelle? That they are like, he's like, no, you've, you've never seen anyone with a deadpan delivery before. You've never seen a cute, awkward person be like all elbows and shoulders and just give dead. I know, I know 80 comedians like that. Why are you acting like that? They're, this is the first. Anyway. Anyway, that's how you get new comics who aren't humble at all, man. They're, they, oh, we're contributing to the problem. We are. We are contributing to it. But then, like, I tried to talk to... I only got to see one of them. I saw a couple of, of the people that I really liked after the competition. Last night, I was... I ran into a couple of them. Only one of them did I get to give, like, some actual advice to. Because the other one, I loved her. She was my favorite, but she went like second and I didn't remember any of her jokes by the end of the night. So I didn't have anything specific <laughs> to say to her, but I just, I told her that I loved her. I was like, you were really, really good. You were, you were my favorite, but there's like, I would love to sit down with them. Uh, cause there is something really, uh, cool about this competition in that they pair them up with mentors. They have like other comics in the scene. Uh, mentor them and like help them oh, write shit. the jokes. So they are, I think, because they're straight up amateurs. They're not even open micers, right? They to get into the competition. I don't think you you can you have to have performed stand up fewer than three times. If you've done stand up three times, you can't be in it. I think that's oh it. my god. Um, they're the, really good for that level. Then they are. They that's are. like impressive. They are. They're better than a lot of open micers. They get coached. Like Matteo that we met has been coaching them for weeks now, uh, and they they get a lot of of help. So I do think that they are more open 
to help and criticism than a lot of brand new comics are. So there was like I I never got to run into that guy who just needed the order to be fixed. Right. I would I would have loved to give him that. Like this is such a simple thing. I'm like you've got everything, but this is clearly just like a rookie mistake. That's all. Right. There's some people you're like you have no idea what you're doing up there. There's some people that are like okay, this guy just needs experience and he's gonna get a lot yeah, better. Just like like formula stuff that you don't figure out until an, uh, a more seasoned veteran comic gives you the formulas or if you just do it long enough but like if you're li- if you have someone giving you a shortcut then that's always better right yeah but uh some people you just you know uh, there were a lot of things i learned because comics told me i like early on i wouldn't let people laugh so i would go into the next joke while people uh-huh. were laughing and i remember most of my advice came from augie, augie. <laughs> but yeah he's like you have to let people laugh for a second you're just like into the next joke and my jokes are like some of them tend to you need a second to realize what i just said especially when i first started doing stand up like the way that the joke would be set up and then i would deliver the punchline you'd need a second to realize what i just said and the longer i do comedy the more i realize so if i sit there for a second they're going to laugh um but yeah, I didn't have any desire to talk to them after the show, but I really, same thing. I don't like having to say things that are not coming from a authentic place. Yeah. It's a, I'm very bad at it. Yeah. I'm like really so good. I feel like it's so obvious that I'm being fake. Yeah. And it makes me hate, like I hate it. I feel gross. I feel like everyone can hear that I'm lying. I think I'm so, so good at being sincere but the second that I'm not being authentic, God, do I suck. Like nothing I say sounds, yeah, it's just, you can really, really tell the difference between yeah. when I mean something Same. and when I don't. When I am in, interested in this conversation, when I'm trying to get out of it, I can't, I'm very bad at pretending. We like, you know, conversations at the t-shirt table. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Yeah. Sometimes I'm really into them. Sometimes it's like I am... <laughs> focused on the line behind the person that's talking to us. Uh, sometimes it's a crazy person talking to us about uh, something. The t-shirt table brings all kinds of conversations. There are... We've had some great t-shirt table conversations. We've we've hugged and cried with people. The girl in... was a, It wasn't San Jose. It was... A, anyways, it was an improv. You know that girl that was just crying? Yeah. Just and, uh-huh, and yeah. thanked us and all this. It was wonderful. Irvine. Um, Irvine, it was. And then uh, there are crazy people. There are people that cannot take a hint and go away. There's just a giant line behind them and they're still going. And you're like, all right, man, uh, you can message me about these alien theories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, uh, and then there's just like all levels of sobriety at the t-shirt table. You know, yeah. there are, there are conversations that I'm like, why are we doing this? You're not going to remember this. Right. You are you're, very drunk. I don't know why I'm being so polite to you. You, I could, I could uh, pants you right now, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't remember. This is what happened to Soberish. Was I got, I recorded a lot of them, and I was really bad at it. They were really bad conversations, and I was like, oh, I just need to catch my stride. I mean, they were fine. Like the other person was doing fine, but my interviews were bad, and I was like, well, I guess Aaron is my uh, inter. You know, he's he's the one that's good at this, and I'm bad at this. And then I realized, like, I just don't care about this subject. Like, I'm not passionate about it. Like, I'm passionate about the stuff that we talk about. And I, when I'm not passionate about something, am terrible because I'm not being authentic. So it's autopilot, Jessa. And, you know, she's the worst. 
Yeah, it's definitely difficult to talk about something I'm not passionate about. Um, luckily, I'm passionate about a lot, but I don't know. Like the idea of when people have floated to me, yourself included, the idea of doing a Mormon, just a Mormon podcast. I don't get into the idea that much and I get am passionate when I talk about the Mormon stuff, but I like only want to do it here with you, yeah. you know, just doing, I'm like, there's already Mormon podcasts or ex Mormon podcasts. There's a bunch of ex Mormon podcasts out there. This one was cool because it wasn't just ex Mormon stuff. There's like sense. an ex Mormon lens through which we can discuss lots of things, but uh, the, like it's the contrast and the dichotomy that's that's cool, and I feel like I would just be bored if it was just me just talking about ex Mormon stuff. I did want to say because you also said the thing about a movie podcast, and I think the fact that there are a lot of movie podcasts should not deter you from the idea of having your own movie pod. Not like pushing Thank you having you. your own podcast, but like you're good at podcasts, and just because there are a lot. There are a lot of bad ones. You yeah, know? there I, are. There are tons of bad ones. I uh, yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I'm, I think I I've been saying like I see so many movies and because I love, that's what you are very. Pa- I mean, you're I love super it. passionate yeah, and I love talking about it. And uh, maybe I should just upload a video to Patreon every time I see a movie and just do a quick little review. Yeah, just uh, just for our patrons to see what they see if they like it. Maybe I will start something so, because I, I I fucking love those are the the podcasts that I want to guest on the most. I'm like I want to, I want to talk about movies. That's my favorite thing. Right. Um. I have it. I saw Midsummer this summer. Good God! Oh, so cool. It was within minutes of the movie starting. I was like, "Whoa, this is different. This is." I think I'm about to see something new. And cool. And then when the opening credits started, because it's like this whole like prologue and then the credits start, I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> We're only like 10 minutes in. And it was so cool, so wild. He did so many slick, cool things with the camera. And just everything about it was was slick and fun. And I, and I just enjoyed it so much. And I went back. A home after the movie I started reading more about it which I love to do and I read this interview with the director who said that the movie was inspired by a breakup he was going through a bad breakup and he said he wanted to make a movie that felt the way a breakup feels and it's not you know there's like I th- if you read the byline of the movie you know it's like it's about a Swedish uh, cult or whatever you know um, but like really what he what he set out to do was make a movie about a breakup and he but he he cared more about how it felt which is my favorite advice that I ever got from another comedian Rory Scoville said like I don't I I care more about how people feel after the show I don't want them to remember my jokes as much as I want them to remember a feeling and I started writing all my jokes like with a way to convey a a certain feeling and I focused all my writing on that and I liked that a lot. So I was very intrigued by this method of like writing a movie like that. You know, it turned into a horror movie uh, and I mean, he does horror, but like he was like, I want to tell a breakup story just in this horror setting. Right. And it is apocalyptic and it is 
cleansing. Like it's uh, like the way like you know, when you when you raise a field, like you burn it all to the ground, like after right. the end of a breakup, and then you're like new beginning. You know, uh, that's they he captured all of that in that movie. There's all the pain, sorrow, sadness, anger like the desire for revenge, uh, letting go, healing all of this in this little horror story. And, uh, it's great. It was great. I came home and I was like, midsummer is better than the Godfather. <laughs> Just as covering her face with her hair. Speaking You're try- of, are you trying capturing to- the, the, the essence of her breakup? Yeah. Um, the, the sequel to the infinite on- onion of trauma is the duffel bag of feelings. Um, yo, I have so many feelings. <laughs> Remember at the beginning of this podcast, it was like, uh, you know, I was supposed to uh, tell you what feelings were all about. And you were like, I don't have any. I just don't. I don't have them. All right, folks, this is the beginning of season three. And by season three, I mean, we never actually changed the seasons on this podcast, but... It's just fun. It's just for fun. (sighs) The beginning of season three is the new chapter where I have kind of the full picture in front of me. I haven't finished processing it yet, but I'm looking back with a fresh set of eyes on season one and season two. And I'm going to tell a little bit about what happened. The final revelation is that I'm codependent and what we have found f- from uh, a couple of attempts to record an episode together about that is that I am not ready to talk about it in front of Aaron or to Aaron on the thing because I'm um, still dealing with a lot of shame and stuff and it just doesn't, it's too raw. It's not the good kind of raw. Which is, shame is an emotion. Shame is an emotion that I didn't know I had. So here is kind of my, I'm getting really loud and echoey probably. Yeah. Here's kind of my experience with feelings. I think at some point I decided that, we've talked about like me exiling, oh weird, me exiling Jessica I'm sure I've talked when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I changed my name to Jessa. I wrote letters to Jessica about how she was weak and all the bad things that happened to her and therefore she needed to be gone so nobody could ever hurt us again. Like these were conscious, like I was consciously aware that I was doing all these things. I then got put into a, a mental institution where I try to tell the psychiatrists that I have multiple versions of me living inside my head, but I guess that wasn't a thing yet. Oh, we got to do an episode on that. <laughs> And Jess invented a new form of psychiatry. Yeah, because coincidentally, they came out with this therapy shortly after. I'm sure that wasn't after stealing it from 14-year-old Jessica Garcia, but... Um, What's it called? Integrated family? Integra- internal family systems? Internal family systems. We're going to do Which a whole sounds like a it. program that the Mormon church has yeah. to, to help uh, poor families. But. I would have thought it was like some type of you know family therapy. But it's about all the different versions of you. The sub-personalities, which did come out last year when I was trying to figure out my behavior. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my behavior got, was caused yeah. by codependency. And we will do a, a big episode on that soon. I'm just too triggered right now. So... But You're I'm doing gonna, great, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I am going to talk a little bit about my perception of the world and how I'm realizing that that wasn't... 
I think things are layers, right? I think that we experience reality and then later we experience a deeper level of reality. And that's because we're here for experience. So I do think that if you have a, a marriage with someone who turns out to later be garbage, you still had that experience that was a good marriage with somebody. And now you're experiencing the reality of someone who's no longer married to someone who wasn't good to you. And then you're kind of, ha- you're kind of having a new experience of a marriage that wasn't good. I think that all of those things are real and valid. And so I'm not saying that the first two seasons weren't real. I'm just saying that I didn't have all of the information available to me at the time. Aaron, in, a, in the perfect mirror of me that he is, was the first person that I had ever let near me in any significant way who had a lot of feelings and I've let people near me that have feelings, but I always think that those feelings are something that need to be fixed. Like I really did perceive emotions as things that you needed to remedy. I didn't think you should stuff your feelings. I didn't think that the denial of like, I thought that the denial of feelings were, was something different than what I was doing because I couldn't feel the feelings that I was having. I genuinely had no idea that I was having feelings. And when we first met, Aaron was still processing his divorce and we kind of got into this dynamic where I was helping him process his divorce because he was sad and I was happy. So therefore he's fucked up and I'm fine. And at one point Aaron was like, you don't think you're sad about your divorce? And I said, no, I don't want to get back together. Like that's how few emotions I had access to that I had like three categories of reason. And in my head, if I was sad, that would mean I wanted to get back together. I don't want to get back together. Therefore, what is the point of having feelings about it? And so I didn't. I didn't experience those feelings. I can now look back and see behaviors and compulsiveness and and Uh, triggered codependency that probably got super amplified by the fact that I was in fact um, had just suffered a huge loss and was afraid of loss and in my logical mind I'm like I just came out of a super healthy relationship and it's fine and I'm not sad about it so it's fine but then there's all this evidence of me clinging to you and holding on tight to you and trying to trying to solidify something I already had with you because I'm I'm reeling from loss. Right. But I don't know I'm reeling from loss. So I don't know what's happening. It's all being projected onto you. So I did... I don't... It was a weird thing because ordinarily I think emotions are weakness. And then... But I, I, I saw them as strength in you. So I think it was kind of a twofold thing where for the first time I was open to the idea of talking about the fact that I was depressed or anxious. Like I was starting to put names on feelings where if I was anxious before 2017, I would, I would feel like I was failing. I never talked about my feelings. Like it was a really big deal for me to admit that I had postpartum. And if you ever heard me qualify postpartum, I would like hammer home, you know, it's hormonal and, um, I have it for this amount of time. Oh, I never picked up on that. I just, I, you seem very open about postpartum. Uh, it's like the only time that it was like, there's a justified excuse reason for my feelings. 
Yeah, well, I don't ever thought I never thought you pounded home the fact that it was hormonal, but that does make sense that you're more op- you're you're able to talk about it because there is this reason, you know. It's like yeah. it's mechanical, right? Yeah. Like I have no control over this; it's not my fault. It's postpartum, so that makes sense. But I I still think that you were being honest and open and vulnerable about all those yeah, things. Yeah, I just remember I didn't. I remember texting you and telling you I was anxious in like December. Like when we met at the the comedy festival in October and then in December I was anxious and I remember telling you I was anxious and then my next thought was like, oh, now you're someone who gets anxious. Like I felt like I was stealing your thing. <laughs> like, like, oh, now you're a feelings person. Uh-huh. And I had a very, a very critical companion that I didn't know I had. And... So a lot of the things that we then did and talked about on the podcast where you were being vulnerable and I was playing therapist or whatever, we would then try to record podcasts with kind of the, the other thing because there were tons of times that you were helping me through shit. But then I would get super triggered if you offered up anything like I offered to you on the podcast and a lot of that comes from the codependency because with the codependency you you're saying something that I would say to you but when you say it I'm like oh my god he hates me and so I would get triggered and not really know why I was triggered and it would make for bad podcasts and so we wouldn't release them and then I started having more anxiety more depression a lot of the stuff was the codependency kind of running its course a lot of the stuff got projected onto our relationship i did do a lot of investigating my own feelings i think me finding out about attachment systems was me trying to solve my own feelings but then even still it was like oh but look at yours and um and we went to whole like ran the whole relationship gamut whatever and then we we broke up and in the breakup, I found out the codependency thing, but also in that space of like not having you, like we're not recording podcasts, we're not talking, you're not around, like I cannot project any, you're not available to have this projected onto you right now, kind of put me in a position to really start to get into my own feelings because you're gone and these feelings are not. <laughs> and... I really kind of tapped into a more authentic version of myself, which is what we said you were in my life for, right? Was to take off this armor. But now I really feel like I'm, I'm dragging around this duffel bag full of feelings. I have feelings about every single thing. That's good. That's not bad. I know it's not bad. It's funny how many times I tried to fix your feelings and it like, Part of that was codependency. Like if you were sad, the codependency would tell, like if I'm not fixing other people, I feel like I'm like failing or like I'm not worth anything. And so I'm, I'm learning to reel that in. But another part of it was like, I had exiled my own ability to feel feelings. And so that manifested in how I dealt with you. You know, I don't know if it's because watching you feel your feelings was, was bringing this up in me and I was trying to fight it. That's not a bad theory. I don't like that. Um, but now I am. What are you having feelings about now? When you say everything, do you have funny examples? Burnt pizza. 
I can't see anything cute, like sweet or cute without getting, I've always kind of had this thing where I get choked up. If there's, if there's a big emotional, a lot of people have an emotion around me, I would get choked up, but I would be very ashamed and would hide it. But it was something I knew to be true about myself. But now I'm having deep emotional reactions to stuff that I'm having to learn how to label them because it's not the three before I'm learning how often I feel shame, how many times a week I feel shame and how completely out of touch I was with that. Like you would talk about being ashamed and shame, 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 shame. And I definitely always talk to you like, well, once you get to my level, you won't have to deal with that anymore. But like I wasn't on some higher level. I was just only existing in the mental space and refusing to swim in the water. And but the water was there and I was ashamed. Like we had many interactions that were the result of me flooded is the word I really love from the, I only read two pages of that (laughs) family systems book, but it talks about you have exiles, Uh which are parts of you that get cut off and you don't perceive them. And then you have protective selves and the protective selves prevent the exiles because the exiles will flood the system. And now I'm having this vocabulary, just like I got the vocabulary from the attachment system stuff where we tried to record a, a codependent episode and the shame was building up as I was like confessing all of these things and how, how weird I got and everything else. And then you would say the slightest thing and it was just, I'm, I'm flooded. I could, I like, I could, it was a physical feeling. I could feel like rise from my chest up to my stomach till I felt like I was drowning in this room. Are the exiles connected to the flooding? Are the exiles flooding you? What is the, the exiles? The so the exiles are the part of you that got hurt. Right. And then the protective self just like, and I've talked about how my brain has a way of just, um, it just compartmentalizes stuff and then moves it out of the way. Like when the divorce happened, that was so painful. Mm-hmm. When the marriage fa- was falling apart, my brain just cuts that piece that got hurt, that part that was attached to that marriage, the part that you know loved what I had, and then just moves it and moves it out of my perception. And so it's still affecting things, but it doesn't give it like a conscious voice. Because if it gives it a conscious voice, I will get flooded. Like the system will get flooded with emotions. Mm. And so I've just been doing that my whole life. Everything that ever hurt, I just cut it and move it. This is the first breakup I've ever felt in my life. I usually like... Move across the country and... I remember like feeling the breakup with Jason. It mostly like the first breakup with Jason. But it was like fuel. There was just this thing I would do where it would kind of run in the background as pain, but I I wouldn't give it an audience and I wouldn't, it just kind of ran in the background and then was dreams. I would dream about it constantly, which now I'm like, yeah, no shit. You dreamt about it. It's the only place you would allow yourself to perceive it. Wow. But do you remember what kind of dreams or just an idea of what the, Oh yeah. He was just in every dream, taking things from me, um, robbing me. That's interesting. And so I remember saying mm-hmm. what? No, it's just it's a it's kind of a tangent, so I don't want to interrupt. Go ahead. Are you thinking of a parallel for yourself? No, it's just something clicked for me about a dream that I had once, but it's a completely different subject. But oh, it's okay. like uh one day I'll talk about it. Okay. But, but I think that like the just the idea of not allowing yourself to process something in real life so that you process it in your dreams. Right. Um I had I had a, a friend who died and oh, yeah. um I felt really guilty that 
and I, like I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I didn't know what, I felt like I wasn't allowed to be sad because I didn't love her as much as everyone else loved her for whatever reason. I felt, I felt like I shouldn't grieve because if I grieved, then I was just looking for attention and I wasn't truly that sad about it. Like all those other people, uh, boyfriend and best friend and this friend and that friend, I was like, they, that makes sense that they're grieving, but I shouldn't because right. I, that would like, I felt like I was like stealing their th- thing. I don't know. And so then I started having, uh, she started showing up in lots of my dreams and, uh, literally in, uh, one dream, uh, I just got to, I just got to hug her and cry and say goodbye. And it was really nice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that just, I I always wondered me about that. And I always wondered why I had those. And then I, cause then I felt guilty about the dreams and I didn't tell any of my friends about the dream because I was like, again, they loved her more than, than I did. So, uh, like they're probably having, you know, better dreams or something like that. Like, uh, and so I never talked to anyone about it and it was just kind of weird. And I was like, Oh, I feel guilty that I had this dream or something, but it's multiple dreams. And now it makes sense. Yeah. Just that I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I just wasn't processing it, and I needed a space to do it. Our brains are cool. Um, I do remember you telling me about those dreams. Uh, here's a really dumb illustration of this, but from an astrological standpoint, Aquarius is our mental space, right? They are the thinkers. They're known for being detached, aloof, and. Um, Pisces are very emotional. Pisces mm-hmm. are also very psychic. Like they're very tuned into the ether and the energy and everything else. But the Aquariuses are like the innovative thinkers and, and stuff. But Aquariuses are cold and don't have feelings and Pisces are drowning in feelings. You and got, you're an Aquarius, right? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> if you get really deep into the chart, there is a shit ton of Aquarius that gives me a lot of Aquarius personality traits. And I'm born at zero degrees which someone who's born at zero Sounds degrees, cold. it's the, it's the, the threshold from one into the other. Okay. And I never resonated with anything Pisces. I could look back at my childhood and be like, damn, I was definitely a Pisces kid, but something happened. And I am a, I, I would literally say that I was definitely a Pisces kid, but I'm all Aquarius now. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I talked about it all the time. Like when I was younger, I can definitely see so much Pisces, but then I became Aquarius. And I had all these theories about why, but I just claimed Aquarius. And sometimes when people would be like, can I see your chart? And it's like Pisces, Pisces sun, but it's zero degrees. So it's Aquarius. And then Pisces moon, which is what your emotions are. So my emotional self is Pisces. And then you got... Who are super emotional people. Right. Okay. And then you got... Uh, Mercury, which is your mind, and Mars, which is your driving force, are both Aquarius. And you can see a lot of that in my, like, the way that I go 5,000 directions at the speed of light. That is because those things, but those things are both the, like, kind of the mental space thing, right? But when it comes to emotions, I do have this. But anyway, I'm not saying that this causes that, but I'm saying my, my reluctance to admit that I was Pisces, the way that I hid the fact that I was Pisces, you had to really kind of press me a little bit to get me to admit it. And I never read Pisces stuff. I only read stuff. Yeah. Um, is a great example of who I was as a person who is just like, I'm aloof. I'm detached. There's something wrong with me. I can't even attach to my own kids. I can't even blah, blah, blah. And now I look back and I'm like, I really had a hard time connecting to my kids emotionally while I was codependently attached to you. And I can see now it's because I was flooded. 
I was be, I was flooded with emotions at all times that I couldn't figure out. And so I was unavailable to everyone. I wasn't even like emotionally available to you. I was freaking the fuck out 24 seven. I wasn't, I was like, my equilibrium was off and I was flailing. And so I wouldn't like, I wasn't emotionally healthy in the way that I was coming at you, even though in my head I felt like I was. And, um, I was drowning. And then I think back to how I was not a good mom. And I always say like, I didn't connect correctly to, uh, Nicole. And I always thought it was because, I like wasn't capable of love yet because I didn't love myself. And now I'm like, nope, I was codependently activated on her dad. So I was just, I was drowning in emotions that you can't feel. This is like a codependent thing. You don't know you're feeling these feelings. And so you're trying to externally fix things because you're internally need to fix yourself. And so you're like, like flailing for control outside because you have no idea. There's like a, blinders on to the fact that you're having these emotions. So now I'm getting into it. I'm like, these words are making so much sense. I'm realizing how many things I did and said that came from a place of feeling ashamed and came from a, like a need to prove my worth. And none of this matched who I believed myself to be. I believed myself to have high self-esteem. Well, maybe you were a different person. Like maybe Jessica is a Pisces. And Jessa yeah. is the is the Aquarius, you know? Um, you're right. Like, there was this exile inside of you that you were oblivious to. And now you're getting in touch with her. And she's coming back. You guys are, like, merging together. So you're experiencing yeah. all this other stuff. Just stuff we so talk about. It doesn't. Yeah, it is. It is. It's just, like, we're always surprised about the way the, the way things take shape, you know? Right. But, we, yeah, you, you were expecting this. Well, remember me saying in uh, when we were doing... God, what episodes were these where I talked about, I feel like I just rescued my inner child from the basement. Yeah. And now it's like, now I see that that inner child was flooding the system the entire time. And the protector was flailing to try to control mm-hmm. the situation to make the inner child shut the fuck up. And then it ended up the inner child comes out and now the inner child's here. And now we have to deal with her feelings. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. A book that we talk about, talked about on a recent Patreon episode. And I mean, I'm, I think I'm just going to keep mentioning it. Uh, it's called Whole Again. And it's something that I got for myself to help me with, because uh, it's about recovering from a toxic relationship. If you are in a relationship with a narcissist or cluster B or, or, or borderline or whatever. Right. Uh, like this is how you can like... Um, reestablish yourself healing your heart and rediscovering your true self right um and they talk this author talks about the protective self a lot it's what the whole it's like two-thirds of the book is just about the it's identifying and then deconstructing the protective self um it i guess i'm trying to decide if like if it's if it's helpful to say uh you know what your true quote unquote true self is because your protective self. I don't know if that is, that is then you, right? Even if it, if it's something born of trauma, that is become who you became. Like you were an Aquarius as much as you right. said you were, you were a person who only had a few feelings. Now you're changing. You don't have to feel, I think that the shame of feeling like you lived a lie uh, is unnecessary and not helpful, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, so I just, I get hints of that from you, like beating up on yourself or too, like it's, it's, uh, 
I get it. I get it because you're you're having you're realizing all this stuff, right? But you know, thank you. You weren't living a total lie. Thank you. Just I mean, half, I just, like just half lie. <laughs> <laughs> I think logically, um, like that's why I tried to say it at the beginning. Was like logically, I understand that that like we were having those experiences. I really did honestly think I was helping you. I thought I I needed to help you because you were sad. And, um, I did want to go into something else while we're on this subject, the dynamic that we created early in the podcast, because I wasn't in touch with these feelings was that I am the smart one who knows the answers to everything. And you are the broken one because you're sad. And we would do that. And I think it made for entertaining podcasts. We would do that on the podcast and then we would get very different reactions from fans yeah. Where fans would be like, Jessa is my spirit animal and Aaron's sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you would have feelings about that sometimes. And we would record podcasts where I, you know, because in real life we were like, having- I addressed it once on the podcast and then was flooded with like a bunch of like nice messages. And, uh, and now like even just today in the group, someone had caught up to that episode and was like, what we love Aaron. And that's always great to see. Yeah. But, um, what kind of wasn't the, like what people heard, I think, including myself was like, you thought people didn't like you and they only liked me. Mm-hmm. I honestly did not hear that conversation for what it was until I got to where I'm at. And I thought it was just, once again, black or white. I only have two categories of reason. I thought you were saying people like you more than they like me. And I was just like, people love you. And then when you would describe what you were talking about, I just don't have, I'm not vulnerable. I'm not a vulnerable person. So I don't know what you're talking about. And then I started to become a vulnerable person and paid attention to the shift in how fans talk to me. And then I was like, Oh, this is how fans have been talking to Aaron the entire time. This is what so he what, was talking about. When you say you shifted towards vulnerable, you mean like at the start of the breakup, when at you started the breakup, when, you released, when we released the Patreon breakup and then like the updates and stuff on Patreon, you started getting different messages. I started getting different messages. And then on soberish, I got very, I did a codependency episode on soberish. Like, what do you, what are, what's the difference in the messages? People talk to me like, like they are, um, it's fine, but they're not taught. Like they talk to me like I was a guru or with reverence. They didn't like throw out corrections or tell me that I was until we broke up. People didn't, I feel like people come out of the woodwork now to be like, whoo, I, uh, you know, I don't like this thing that you do, or I don't like, I can't think of a great example. Like, Oh, but specific talking down to me, not talking down to me. This sounds very, it's, I don't give a fuck, but like talking to me, like I'm broken or talking to me like, like just, would you use the word condescending? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. I was trying to dance around that, but I, that's, that's the, that's the tone that, that, that bugs me a lot. And it was, it was the, the contrast that really gets to me. And it's not like, I don't, I, I hate to talk about it because then I think I sound defensive. Um, but it's like, I'm not that jealous of a, like I can, I, there's lots of comments that I just let roll off. And I think like they meant it differently or this 
doesn't need to matter. Who is this person or what? Like, I wouldn't care. Like, and people loving you, like, doesn't bother me. I think that's what you would hear that's when what, I would exactly say, what I would hear. when I would say, like you, you'd be like, why does it bother you that they, that they like me? Like, I get really happy for you when people like you. Why would you like, why are you jealous? And like, it wasn't that it's this, it's how condescending people can be to me and then, uh, suck your dick. They just suck your dick and then say the just really uh, condescending shit to me. And I'm like, I, I don't like this at all. And uh, I did, if I'm being honest, I did think because I, uh, they think it, because I'm not sad because I'm fine and you're sad. Like I really did in my head. I was like, you know, it's because they don't. I don't need any help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so fucked up. Um, All right. So the, this, I get what, this is what kills me. If I can just talk about this and without, I don't, I don't need to be, I don't know. You don't have to send messages to me about this or apologize or, or, or anything. Just, just, I just, I'm, I'm self-conscious to talk about this. We get, we're a popular podcast. We get lots of messages to our Facebook page, to our Instagram, which I manage. We both we both uh, manage. We have we we both we both see all of the messages yeah. usually. Um, and it's just been over a year of day after day, message after message that's addressed only to Jessa. Message there, Jessa. I love your podcast. You have helped me so much. You have helped me realize such and such and such and such. And I'm like, and and I get like if one person uh, resonates with Jessa more or feel identifies with Jessa more and feels more grateful to Jessa, like that's fine. But I was like, why is every fucking message coming in to to just Jessa? Like I'm fucking reading this. There are messages to Jessa that then also say uh, rude shit about me. And I'm like, you asshole. It's me that you just wrote a letter. Like some somebody was like somebody was like uh, Jessa. Like, I don't know. There's, there's, I have so many. I have so many examples. But like there were people who call you like dear dearest Jessa Reed. Uh, you and that Mormon boy. I'm like my name's in the fucking song. You my, my name's on the fucking thing. Like how do you not know my name? You love our. You love this podcast. You binge this podcast. You listen to this podcast. Say my fucking name, you dick. Like I did. That wears on me. I'm not. I, 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 60 seconds after I was like, I'm kind of self-conscious about it. I'm way opening up. It's just day after day after day after day of this kind of stuff, you know? And um, I like hearing stories about how our podcast helps people. But like they were, I started to really have a problem with jealousy because there was just like, Jessa helped me. Jessa meant so much to me. I think Jessa was sent here to uh, usher in a new age. I think Jessa, uh, Jessa's so smart. Jessa knows every. Jessa knows this. Jessa knows that. Jessa knows this. And I'm like, you understand that I'm a part of the like. Uh, even I mean, like, first of all, I was mad because I was like, you guys never hear the the you just you see Jessa as perfect because Jessa only allows you to see her as a perfect person. She she throws out every episode that in, that makes her slightly uncomfortable. Where that I have episodes where like I'm crying my eyes out and she's telling me how to love uh Todd, you know? And I'm like uh and that was super fucking difficult and I and like uh 
there's just stuff that that you guys don't get to see. So I'm like, I have all those angry thoughts inside. And I'm like, well, you know, she's just fake. There's like mean thoughts that I start to think, which I think are all born of jealousy, which is no one's fault but my own. I want to make it clear that jealousy is still a part of this and I'm taking responsibility for that. Uh, But like then also, even if that's really is the podcast, even if you're perfect and I'm not, that's like just as an art, like someone, you have to understand that like that, that the sidekick then, even if I'm just a sidekick, the sidekick plays a part. Like if Jessa has no one to fix, then you don't have a podcast to listen to that doesn't change your life. Can I, like I'm begging for some kind of credit. Like can I please just get like an honorable mention on on your thank you list? Like Aaron, thank you for uh, allowing yourself to be a guinea pig and put all your stuff out there, you know, like uh, please, right? Sorry, I'm getting worked up over this. It's just, it's a lot that I kept in because when I talked to you, when in the beginning when I talked to you about it, all you, you would get, you know, whatever we covered that, but you would, it was always, it was just about me being jealous. It was like your mindset is what you would tell me. Like, you know, Aaron, yeah. you cha- if you change your mindset, then the messages will change. And I think that there's truth in that. I, I did think there were a couple things at play. Like I think. And something that we're going to correct this year is that I was the one going out getting fans. That's also a part of it. People attached to the person, the person that brings them to the podcast. In the very beginning, it was you, 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 because the very beginning, our fans were all ex-Mormons. And then this is not happening dropped. And then I went out and did a bunch of podcasts. And so the people would come to the podcast. And so in my head, it was like people came for me. So that's part of it. People would send messages, but then also like I would get very upset when the guy, I know what one you're talking about, the guy that was talking to me and it was like the Mormon or whatever. And like, I was like, I will fucking, I didn't like it, you know? And a lot of this was tied up in codependency also. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, I don't give a fuck about the fans. Quick side note. Don't hit on either of us. In, front in of the, other one. the Mormon and the Meth Head Facebook page, or me- like that's a joint account. Just, just heads up. I don't know why you thought that uh, only one of, but like anytime one of you sent. Here's another tip. How about never message us drunk? How about you never, ever, ever send us a message when you're drunk? How about that? We don't know you. You don't know me. We're not friends. Do you get that? We're not. Do not send me messages when you're drunk. Like both of us. It's just what. Uh, but like when we've got, we get messages and I, and there's, there's, I have some too, but I don't, you know, that where they're just like actively like, oh, you know, you're so hot. I'm like, Hey man, it's me, Aaron, uh, responding to your message. I'll let Jessa know that you think she's hot. Uh, thanks for enjoying the podcast, you know? Uh, sorry. Yeah, it's just, mm. anyway. It's just uh, there's there's a weird thing that we that we've discussed. I'm sorry that I yelled. It's just it's a lot to be so open and vulnerable with you guys, and like I know that you guys know each us so well because we do that. But in reality, you don't know us. You know the podcast version of us, and uh, it's just like let's be friends before we get that familiar. Let's message each other and talk for a little bit before we get that uh, overly familiar. And again, and I don't want anybody feeling like, oh my God, that was me. I did that. It's not you. It's, I'm mad because it's literally so many. There's so many messages. So it's not just any one person. It's just like, no no one, okay, you're, you're fine. I'm sorry that I yelled. I'm sorry. I just, uh, 
I just got a drunk message apologizing for a drunk message. And I was like, uh, this, you haven't learned your lesson, I don't think. But A big theme for you and I right now is boundaries. And weirdly, we've been separated and not really talking to each other. And then when we get back together and uh, get back around each other and compare notes of what a big theme has been, it's boundaries for both of us. And... Um, I guess now is a good as time as any to talk about like now that I am navigating codependency and this big duffel bag full of feelings, there are a few things that I guess I want to say to the fans also. Um, I have a very hard time leaving people on red. Um, I feel personally responsible for every single other person's feelings. If you bring it in front of me, I feel like I have to fix it. There are hundreds of you messaging me a day with stuff that I feel like I have to respond to it. I can't, like I can't leave it. And only if I'm on the road and super busy and like physically impossible to look at my phone. But when I am home, I look at all the messages. I feel like I have to talk even when I don't want to talk. I feel like I have to, you know, and I get messaged about like hardcore shit, like, you know, childhood trauma and stuff. And a lot of people who are like, I had a near-death experience. We need to talk. And it's like, there are thousands of you. Like, there are a lot of people that have heard me tell this story. And I, I feel, it's not your shit, but there are, like, when you're sending a message, just know there are, are hundreds of people sending these messages. There are, um, and I, like, my own shit is that I have, I was like, I'll just respond to every piece of fan mail I ever get. And now it's getting to the point, And I hate to say that because it sounds like I am famous. I have so many fans. But I, I find myself like, I have to start setting boundaries. Yeah, because you are going to get more famous and you need to right. set some boundaries. What happened when I started doing readings, and this isn't a plug for readings, but if you want to tell But we keep reading, plugging it. Yeah, if you get one, make sure you mention Mormon and the Meth Head. That's how I get paid. Aaron Thank you guys. Paid. But what was really interesting and something that kind of opened my eyes when I had the crisis about becoming fully woo-woo or whatever, and I kind of had to come to this moment where I was like, what is it about, why do I feel like I shouldn't get paid to help people? Why do I feel like I should be having no idea how I'm going to pay my rent this month, but spending five hours a day helping people on Instagram messenger. Like, why is it that I think that that's okay? And it's because I have this programming in my mind that is like, uh, spirituality is, you know, you can't get paid for spirituality. Why do I have that programming? Cause I talk mad shit about it. And what actually made this click in my head is because I was talking about the, the men who turn out to be gay, who have like dedicated their life to preventing homosexual marriage or whatever. And I was like, I used to think that those guys were hiding who they were behind the the facade of, you know, being anti-gay. And now I realize that they're just fighting their own reflection. And then I thought, what, what area do I do that in? And then I was like, oh, that I'm actually, you know, whatever. So I don't plan on ever charging uh, $1,000 for a painting, but I have very reasonable priced uh, readings that you can book online and then you can get me on the phone and I can answer your questions and we can have whatever conversation you want to have and it can be an energy exchange and it can weed out 90% of you who aren't willing to do that and I can just say like here's where I'm available here's where we can exchange something here for this and then I can kind of start to set myself free from this need to respond to everything because it's it's killing me like it's 
it's a massive, when I first found out I was codependent and I was like, oh, this only manifests with Aaron. And then the more that I read, I was like, oh, I have like connected my self-worth to saving everyone on the planet. And it's, it's a lot. It's, it's constant. There's not a, there's not, my phone's upstairs right now. I guarantee I go upstairs. I've got 20 notifications since this podcast started from people who were like, you know, uh, my mom just died. My, I got molested when I was a kid. I'm having a repressed memory. And it's like, fine. I want to share that with everyone, but there's a group now for soberish, a group for Mormon and the meth head. I'm getting ready to leave both of those for a little while. I think, uh, I'm taking a few giant steps back. I have several new friends from this podcast. There were listeners that I got to know online just from the messaging me like uh and i was like they they seemed really interesting and they were nice and they like you know we had a now we're like close we're close and it's fun when like we do a show in their area and they get to come out and it's like that's you oh my god it's really fun but uh there's i think that with any relationship you you have to earn trust and familiarity you have to earn it and I think that everybody getting to know us via the podcast it makes us feel more familiar than we than we actually are in real life. And like, it's it's a weird sensation for for both us and you guys. And you guys have, have addressed it a lot too, where because we get messages to being like, ah, it's weird. I, I know so much about you and you don't know me at all. But yeah, I don't know you at all. And I'm like going through like this breakup and doing my own shit and getting uh messages from people that I, I don't know. I, this sounds so I'm only focusing on the negative right now. Listen, if you're worried right now that you're one of the people that we're talking about, you're probably not. (laughs) I can guarantee that the people that we're actually talking about will not hear these words at all. So don't stress. Same thing. We have several, I have many friends that I've made, you know who you are. I got lots of nice messages that chain that helped me so much through the breakup and just, or just nice messages in general. If I go back to when, Oh, you're talking about positive attitude. Like you said, change your mindset. I think in the beginning, like I don't even remember when we were getting lots of messages to me in the beginning because I was ignoring them. Like I, 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 when you brought that up, I started paying attention, you know, where like I would see a message that was directed to you and I would, focus on it and get mad and be like, Oh wow. Wow. You don't think I'm anything, huh? And then the very next message would be like, Aaron is so great. He does so much. Oh my God. He's the greatest person. I just want to give him a hug. And I'm like, well, you're crazy. This is a crazy person. <laughs> then the next message is back to Jess. And I'm like, yeah, fuck. Uh, you know, so I was like definitely focusing on the wrong things. And now I, I do focus on the good things and I'm much happier. And I notice so like I, I do get compliments every day. Like somebody sends me something nice every day. It's and it's it's very nice and very rewarding. And uh, I think a lot of you are just uh, are just perfect, perfect fans. It's just that there's, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of people out there, and they're not they're not all perfect, you know. But the stuff that gets to me is just like I don't like I like I just want. I don't know. I want credit or respect or something. There's just ways like when I, I posted a, a thing in the group looking for a book recommendation, you guys, who you got any books about loving yourself that you really like or something like that. And mo- 90% of everybody just recommended a good book and it was like, great. It was a really good thread. But then there was like a couple comments in there, like people that were just like, 
uh, Aaron, are you okay? Do you need someone to talk to? Suicide's not the answer. And I was like, I'm <laughs> the best I've ever been. I'm like really starting to take care of myself. I'm gonna, I'm getting serious about this. Uh, Jessa could ask for a book recommendation about the voices in your asshole that uh, <laughs> that that make soap videos. Like, and you guys would be like, Yeah, absolutely, I got this. Blah, blah, blah. Then there was like uh, some comments too that was like, you know, Aaron, I don't think it'll be as simple. Like not one book can solve it for you. It's a process that you've got to, you've got to do, like you got to put in the work every day. And I'm like, why did you assume that I'm not? Like, that's why I'm looking for a book. I am, I also, how have you listened to the podcast? Like it's been a, a two year journey of me working every day to like myself. So I don't know why you come in with this attitude about like, here, let me tell Aaron, uh, that, you know, like I, I don't get that. No one would talk to Jessa like that. No one would say to oh, Jess, I, th- I think you're being a little simplistic here. If you think you're going to solve this with a book well, that has on, shifted yeah. dramatically in yeah. a very short period of time. That's really what I, what made me realize it. Was I was like, oh, when you would be like, no one would ever talk to you like that. I just didn't understand the tone because I wasn't getting talked to in that tone. And then the first few messages that I got where I just felt like, well, you're kind of overstepping your bounds. I realized because the podcast is about us realizing stuff for ourselves. We're ov- like, look at the, the arc of the last year and a half, like not even a full half. And we are on a rapid trajectory of dissecting our motives and our, our programming and our trauma and stuff. And then just think a little bit about the tone with which you talk to us mm-hmm. about that process. And so I just didn't, I didn't see it till it happened to me. And then I was like, Oh, so you think that's the price of being vulnerable? Yeah, exactly how I was how I was talking to you like you were you had a problem that needed to be solved because you weren't in touch with your feelings Mm -hmm. I'd imagine it's coming from the same place of people talking to you now I get a bunch of messages thanking me for being vulnerable yeah and these are my favorite ones these make me feel good about it right because this is what I'm trying I think that it is a strength I think that it is a, a good characteristic that I'm proud of and there are people that are like Thank you, especially like as a man, there are people that thank me that showing them that that's okay, that 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 they're that they feel more comfortable being vulnerable with their emotions. Lots of messages like that really mean a lot to me. But I would say the vast majority are not that. I'd say I see I see so many messages that uh, that pers- I don't know. I've gotten one message that meant that it was, was sweet and I focused on it and it was great that said, uh, it was after the anxiety attacks episode Mm -hmm. and they were like, I'm so glad Jessa had you. She's like, like, you know, that you were there, that you took good care of her. Thank you so much. Um, it was still like sent, like, you know, you could tell they were a huge like fan of yours, but like they, they, they were like, Oh, like you did something good for Jessa. Now on the other hand, I see message after message that tells after me how lucky messages. I am to have Jessa. Oh, Aaron's so lucky to have Jessa. I wish I had Jessa in my life. And like, Aaron, you're so lucky to have someone like Jessa. And I'm like, the that imbalance there is what would bother me. I'm like, we are lucky to have each other. Like, we're both doing this together for each other. But for some reason, it gets perceived as just like one-sided because I guess... I'm the one being vulnerable and like people, I think people want the, 
we made the guru episode because we felt like people were idolizing you. And I think that there's a desire to, we all like, we do this with all of our favorite, like idols, like celebrities, you know, like we want them to be a perfect person in our mind, which is then why it's always so damaging when they're like, he raped how many people? Oh no. I have raped very few. Um, well, yeah. So there was a lot of me trying to get more vulnerable on the podcast because that imbalance I was definitely tuned into and it wasn't being represented on the podcast, but the actual dynamic between Aaron and I, the, the, cause it sounds like I worship the ground that you walk on, but then we don't ever show like where that comes from. Like you don't, we make jokes about how we fight and stuff, but like you came into my life, my entire life changed and it's beyond romance. It's beyond anything else. But like, you don't hear on the podcast about all of the times that Aaron has taken me out of the rafters. You don't hear on the podcast of all of the times that I've completely lost my mind. And Aaron has had to help me with that because I couldn't reveal that on the podcast. Every attempt to document that would result in me freaking out because I'm codependent. So when Aaron says, when Aaron makes reference to it, all I hear is he hates you, you're going to leave, whatever. And so I would, I would freak out. And so you guys never got to hear any of that. What you got to hear was like, and then I realized that I am this. And you never knew that it was like Aaron helping me the same way that I helped him because I couldn't handle it we would record it and it would be awful and I would either shit can it as an episode or I would get so triggered that the episode would fall apart. And so I guess that that's what I'm coming forward with now. If it seems like there's a missing piece that you don't understand about the dynamic between us is that for every baby mama trauma, for every what is love um, was me going through an evolution that Aaron helped me with. You just didn't get to hear it because I wasn't ready. I wasn't capable of being honest with myself yet. I didn't know I was codependent. I didn't know what these massive emotional reactions were. I really didn't until we tried to record one the other day. And then, but now I have more categories of reasons for my feelings. And I imagine for you, it just had to feel like, uh, it didn't fit my narrative of being hot shit. I assume. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what was, what was, uh, frustrating was like that you never saw how you played into the way the fans talked to me. Like when I would, if I would complain about it, you, you know, you would, you gave me the pep talk about yeah, movie change your mindset. reels look and, at it different. and look at it differently and stuff like that. But like, it wasn't just, it was like, I, I was like the way the way like choices we have made and how we present the podcast has been dictate is not entirely, but I think is certainly is playing a role in this. Yeah. Cause I feel like we, we started doing episodes about my anxiety and you know, I felt like I was getting very vulnerable in the attachment stuff and everything else. And I would like say that, I am a mess and I would, I would say this stuff and then be like, I don't know why they can't hear it. And it wasn't until I got genuinely vulnerable, started getting genuinely vulnerable that I watched the, the tone with which people talk to me change. Because if I'm carrying myself like someone who has it all together, then people are going to address me like that. And when I started carrying myself as someone who's like, okay, well, here's what is underneath that 
exterior, you know, armor, then people started talking to me differently. And I'm like, well, part of me is like, well, fucking now I remember why I developed the armor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but once it started happening to me, then I was like, then I have a piece of the puzzle and I'm like, fuck, this is what. You keep uh, not doing it. I keep waiting to see if you're going to say it. So I'm just going to say it. Uh, one of the things, one of the examples of like messages Jess has been getting is she has said on multiple platforms, multiple times that she's taking a year off from dating and sex to figure herself out. And how many messages would you say you've received from people who are questioning that decision? I am. I am. It is remarkable how many people don't respect that. It's insane. And it's also very thinly veiled what you're like. Everyone knows what you're doing, uh, bro and sis, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> disgusting knows no gender. Um, you, she said she's taking a year off. She said that that's what was best for her. Do you think you know what's best for her? You think you think you you think your your pussy is what's best for her? You think your your dick that's what she needs. That's that'll you know. Here's here's an an incredibly intelligent, self aware woman who is on a journey by herself to make herself better. And your first thought was, is she? Does she know what she's? Is that? Mm, I don't know. I think I'll message her about that. Like uh, just respect it she said no she said i'm taking a year off she did she thought about it before she said it she thought about it before she said it the second time and third time and fourth time and there's still people who are like yeah but what do you think that's gonna do do you really think that that's uh that's gonna why what what exactly about sex is bad about that like and then uh like jessa has tried to like reply and then you guys just try harder to flirt with her and stuff and it's just it's gross and it's not necessary and like i am still having sex so just message me (laughs) you know i did that to one dude who had sent it to the to the facebook to the to the joint account like it wasn't i think like most of this are coming to your personal accounts but like uh one dude in the facebook page was saying something about date uh dating but he just says you so yeah. then I was just like, yeah, what's up, man? I'd love to get together. <laughs> and then uh, I talked to him for a while before he realizes that it's me. And then he makes lots of homophobic jokes. And <laughs> and I just keep doubling down. I'm like, I would love I'd love to have sex with you, man. This is going to be great. It's going to be really good. Uh, and then me and him kind of became friends. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was, that was fun to watch. <laughs> Um, you can help him with his homophobia. Oh man, we 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 now we we bonded over lots of ex Mormon stuff, I guess. But it's just like that's a, I think a great example. We I just I know that we are sounding really mean, and I don't want to scare well-meaning people away. But like I think this could be a good boundary to set. Like um, a lot of you are, are are hot, and that's great. We love how hot you are. Maybe we. Uh, we, you shouldn't be sending i don't know like may, i let's just let's chill it with that let's i don't know we've had great threesomes with some of you uh <laughs> i have i do have i mean i'm kind of relaxed on that stuff right now but i do have but the threesomes we had were people that we uh knew like that we like with, we yeah. connected with we talked to for a while i don't know they uh i don't know 
now I'm like going through them. <laughs> it's so great that we have so many to go through. And it's our fault because we, because we talk about fucking fans and we make jokes about it. And I think that we are ourselves inviting a lot of these messages. But when so, I think what I just Jessica feel like did, it's obvious when I respond how I feel about something or like, you know, just ask yourself, are you arguing with me about this decision right now? Or I've had like, people that are more local be like, let's hang out. And it's, I don't have great boundaries. I don't, I have like, you stay a million miles away or like, you know, I've talked about that several times on the podcast. If people get too close to me, then they, like, I have a hard time. I freeze. And so for me, it's just no dating because no sex. And because if I get close to someone, it's easy for them to uh, pressure me into sex. And I just, I'm going to take some time to figure that out. And I um, am hella triggered and raw and stuff right now. I can't handle any of that. And so I've had a couple of people be like, can we hang out? And I know why you want to hang out. And I'm like, um, I'm not looking for anything right now. And then they're, you know, they're like crack jokes or whatever. And that's like, fine. You're all living in a normal reality and that's fine. I'm living in a reality where I'm super triggered right now. I'm super triggered. I feel like the walls are closing in on me. I recently lost my armor and I'm skittish. I'm skittish. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed. I'm flooded. And I have a duffel bag full of feelings. And so... Um, and you made a very healthy and wise and informed decision for regarding your own self and your own life and your own sex. And uh, it makes me mad that so many people want to make you question that. Uh, for what? For their own personal uh, endeavors. And just respect what she said. Just you guys, you you hang on her every word and and worship everything she says. Worship that, respect that. She doesn't need any more people. Sorry, this is sweet. I know. <laughs> I can see that you like it. Everyone, <laughs> no one, no one else can see you smiling. Everyone's just like, uh, calm down, Aaron. Everyone's like, uh, chill out, man. But uh, yeah, just. Uh, I'm sorry. This this got so. Uh, now I'm worried that everyone thinks we're mean. <laughs> now I'm worried that everyone's like, oh, wow. I, I, I think we invited a I lot of I want to reiterate for the millionth time is that there's way more of you than you think there are. And so the few of you that are worried right now that we're talking about you, we're, we're not. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of people. And I don't know how many of the people that were messaging me, because I've talked about taking a year off on several platforms, including Twitter, you know. I don't know how many people actually listen to the podcast and understand what it's about. I do think some people think it's about a breakup. Um, it is a little bit about a breakup, you know, if, uh, there's too this trauma, just trauma everywhere. It's just, I'm, I'm, there's a lot right now. And so it is a very like difficult, intimate thing that probably just seems like it's funny to people and they probably don't realize that it's, I don't know. I'm not used to being sensitive. So, yeah. Um, we're capable of a lot of feelings and I think this is this suddenly this turned into just us uh exercising uh all the these bad feelings we have. I also love having fans. It's been the greatest thing. I also love when you guys send me cool shit to read that's you know, that's relative to the stuff that we talk about. I love that like that people love me. It's the going through the breakup and having as many nice messages I got meant so much. There were people that were messaging me routinely just to 
just to tell me, hey, we're watching Terminator today, thought of you. Like stuff like that, that I was like, wow, you love me, wow. Like right. people, someone mailed me mushrooms. Like, hey, it'd get you through this tough time. Let's reset your brain. I'll help you out. Another guy, uh, I don't, now, now I'm just talking about drugs that are being mailed to me, <laughs> but our friend, our friend Zane, uh, uh, remember? Uh-huh. All right. Uh, I, I, sorry, now I'm calling, I'm, I'm blowing up his spot. <laughs> he is mailing me pro- just, just um, a book. He's just mailing me a book uh, that's not <laughs> the, drugs that at I all. That I smoke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like this, it's nice. There've been really, really touching messages. People that were like, hey, you've helped me through a lot. I'm sorry to hear you're going through something. Like great stuff. I love it. I love the group. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I just needed a spot to vent about everything. And I do think a lot about the things that that we do to invite this stuff. And I know that I think that we do have sent mixed messages. I also think I, I probably need a new Instagram. Like I, uh, I don't like, it's hard for me to take pictures of myself and, and make content of myself. I don't really like, I'm not interested in myself. Right. I am only interested in Ethan. So I just put my Instagram is just photos of Ethan primarily. Uh, but it's also the only place that I have for fans to come and contact me. So I think that like, they don't have many other, like, I think a lot of celebrities, you know, like they interact with their fans on Instagram. Right. And it, I think if I had a different Instagram, I would be laughing more at a lot of your comments. But it's it's weird when I don't know you and uh, you're t- you're just talking shit about uh, my mom's couch or something like yeah. that. I'm like what? Or like on this this memory of me and my son. You're making jokes about how big my wiener is, and I'm like, yeah. this was a this was a mini golf. Uh, Uh, what are you this is the wrong place but maybe they need an i need to create a place for them to go but i would say thanks thank you for loving us thank you for liking us just uh remember that we're people and that we don't know you yet like let's get familiar first and let's be respectful until we are familiar and then uh, i think everything everything is fine yeah i feel uh really self-conscious about this now i, I was yeah, like I this is another do... episode that we throw away yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i need to set boundaries i asked you know i the soberish group i asked for admins so that i could back out and i did want to talk about that a little bit on the podcast and it really has less to do with anyone else and more to do with just the place i'm at right now i'm very emotionally raw And someone just wrote me a bunch of emotional stuff the other day. And then I wrote back for the first time I've ever said that and was like, I can't get to this right now. I'm busy for the next few days. I won't have time to read this. I've started to say that and people are like, yeah, cool. No problem. But in my head, because I've set this expectation for myself that I'm going to answer every single message and blah, blah, blah. Like that's not anything people for a long time or people who just started messaging me are like, I can't believe you respond to these messages. And, but like, you don't know that I have like, uh, an obsessive need to like, I don't want anyone to feel abandoned. I feel like I'm letting someone down. They're going to hate me. Like, and so like I'm holding myself to this. And I just recently was like, I need to take a few giant steps back for a little while. I'm going to leave the groups. I want to, um, stop looking at Instagram messages. Like I accept so many Instagram messages. Like I, I, so the, the circle just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and I'm overwhelmed and I'm having all these feelings and there's so many people in my space and it's not anyone else's fault but my own. 
Um, I could just, you yeah. know, do what everyone else does and let let messages be. I, I am very bad at responding to messages. You make me feel bad. <laughs> You're like, I'm like, oh, wow. I, 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 I do worry about hurting people's feelings uh, by not responding, but then that fear just turns into ignoring them. Like I don't, it doesn't ever inspire. I just, I worry about it until I forget, you know, <laughs> yeah. it like makes it harder for me to respond because yeah. people, and I, I know that I just spent 30 minutes uh, yelling, making it sound like I don't get nice messages, but like when I do get nice messages, this is what's fucked up about me is that I'm like, everybody love me. And then everyone as soon as someone loves me, I'm like, ew, gross. I don't, ew, please stop. Uh, I get some beautiful messages about how much it helped me and I have no idea how to, what do I say to that? I usually just, I usually uh, ignore most of it and say, thanks for listening to the podcast. That's my go-to. I'm like, Hey, I'm so glad you found the podcast because I don't know how to respond to such a sweet, nice message from a stranger that I haven't met. You know, it's it. And also you guys know me. I'm pretty emotional. So most like there's just a good chance you sent it to me on a day when I'm already uh, depressed in my own head, anxious, whatever. So like I will leave messages in my request folder all the time. And then there'll be like one day where I go through all of them and I just send out a, uh, oh, thank you so much. This was great to everybody. And I don't want to be rude. I, I don't, you know, I, it does mean something to me. I appreciate it. And I, I hope you guys don't take it personally if I don't give a really great response. I'm much better in person than I am online. Which is the opposite of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you meet us in person and you'll probably think I'm an asshole, but I'm just anxious. Aaron makes eye contact, <laughs> shakes hands and stuff. But, uh, d- but we'll leave you on red. <laughs> I leave mm. you on red in person. Yeah, you, people say stuff to you and you just walk. <laughs> I never thought about that. Anyway, I think... We'll delete this. We feel really <laughs> weird about it. We do. I feel really weird about raising my voice and stuff. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, ugh, now all those drunk people will feel bad. But I don't know. I think that's a pretty, that's a probably a pretty good ground rule. Like, uh... Just message me when you're sober. You're all you're all wonderful, beautiful people. It's it's we great. really do love you a lot. We and do. Uh but like it's once just, again we're not talking like I think we're I not think, talking to who you think we're talking to. <laughs> I think that when you were talking about taking steps back from the group, you've been talking about doing that in the Mormon and the method group as well. Yeah. I think it's just strange, it's a weird feeling to see people discussing us. In the beginning, I remember we were much more active in the group when it was much smaller. Yeah. And people would be like, whoa, it's so crazy that you guys, you know, you're commenting a lot. It's real. We're really lucky that you guys, and we liked that. And we thought, okay, that's what we want to, and the group was initially like all just, it's just shit that we love to talk about. So we were in the groups a lot. I love when people, and then it just, oh, as time went on, it got stranger and, uh, and I'm like, I don't. It feels I don't voyeuristic. Know if I, I feel like I shouldn't know. Reddit is the biggest one for me, 
Reddit is where people freely talk about us in a way that I'm like, I shouldn't be seeing this. You should be able to have your opinions on our relationship or, or how one of mm-hmm. us acted on a podcast. And I, I shouldn't have to read because it. that's the fun. Like that's, that's part of that's, this is entertainment and you guys, and we want you guys to like just, you know, like any show that you'd watch, like discuss it. I just think, it's bad for me to look at it because then I uh, get in my head and I get jealous and I, you know, there's like stuff that's like, I've seen people uh, quote me and attribute it to you and talk about how smart you are. Like, you know, like I loved when Jessa said this and I'm like, I said that. And I'm like, but if I comment that, then I look like a prick. Uh, And then, uh, so I'm just not going to say it. But then I'm like in my uh, then I then I start the jealousy cycle where I'm like, oh, everybody loves Jessa. I said get fucked first. (laughs) (laughs) Me. (laughs) So maybe that's going to be another uh, rule. Maybe you and me are going to just be silent partners in the in the discussion threads from now on. Like, I think I just don't want to. We're not going to (laughs) look and just leave the groups and let the group you guys have a place to discuss it and, and have your own experience without us seeing it. And then we don't, I used to force myself to read all comments and I, they're like kind of fun to read, but like I would feel ashamed if a comment got to me. And so I would feel like you need to be able to see all the negative things that people say about you and you need to accept them. Otherwise you're weak. Right. And then I feel similarly. So I read all YouTube comments and then just force myself to deal with the physical reaction that I have to them and stuff. And then I heard Dr. Drew talk, but then you would hear me defensively address every single comment we ever, like in Reddit, when someone said the thing about law of attraction being whatever, like that did bump up against something I was afraid of people thinking, but then I'm like addressing it, which is crazy. It's crazy to feel like I have to address every negative comment that it's because I shouldn't be in that fucking group. I shouldn't be reading those. But then I heard Dr. Drew say to Doug Stanhope, because Doug Stanhope used to shit on Dr. Drew all the time. And then Doug was like, did you hear what I said about you? And Dr. Drew said, no, I'm sensitive. So I don't look at what anyone says about me on the internet. And I was like, this is another one of these things where I just needed to hear someone that I admire. Uh, yeah. Because I'm not going to go fix Dr. Drew and explain to Dr. Drew why he's he's wrong. I was just like, Oh, I can just own that. You yeah, know, I don't I'm a very sensitive boy. I should stay off the internet. I shouldn't look at what people are saying about me and it's fine. It's, uh, none of my business what other people think about me. And I used to think like, well, they're mostly saying positive things and it's just cool, you know? And then I'm like, is this feeding my ego? Is this, I didn't feel like it was feeding my ego. What I'm starting to learn is a lot of my confidence comes from this way that I have managed to be staying in this pocket where I am liked and to kind of cut everyone out that doesn't like me and then stay in this pocket where I'm liked. And maybe some of my, what I experienced to be high self-esteem and confidence really comes from the constant approval because I've like found a very efficient way of getting approval from people at all times. And um, it's not quite the self-assured confidence that... Is that like that page that you were reading today about codependence, like... Uh, yeah as long as everything's going well, right. they feel good and they don't know that they're 
Codependent. Like I look back on my life and, and I'm like, it's exhausting to look at how hard I'm working at all times to make sure that I am approved by everybody. If you're close to me, I'm fixing all your problems. I'm di- like, I'm, I am, I am being all of the things and that I do take it very personally. If I think that people are mad at me, um, I sent a text the other day that the person's response, I thought that they were mad at me and it like, it like ruined my night. Part of this is duffel bag of feelings, but like I had so much shame. And then I realized like a lot of the way that I experienced reality is caused by trauma. I experienced when I was young and a lot of things that I thought were great, parts of me, which they were, they served their purpose. And now I am moving to a higher level of being a lot of what I experienced as self-consciousness or self confidence was a protective self and was a, I don't let you close to me. So you can't reject me. So I don't ever have to address the possibility that I am unwanted. And I know how to be all these things that people like and, and then I also have this part of me that's like, oh, I don't care what you think. Cause I don't like you either. Like all of this is starting to feel more defense mechanism. And I think that it was, it was, it was the perfect traits to get me through the parts of my life that it got me through. And now I'm entering into a more authentic version of myself that is learning how to integrate feelings and vulnerability. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. This book so far, I mean, he makes it... This, I I don't think, is the most pop... I don't know. He talks about the protective self, and you know we're trying to deconstruct it to get to the real problem so we can become better people. But I don't think the protective self is inherently bad. Like, it's... You can understand why we make it. Right. It's to get us through. And you got through, like you, you did everything that you needed to do and now you're just leveling up. Yeah. Transition period and stuff. But like, uh, you were still you the whole time and now you're going to be even more you. Yeah. Just keep adding feelings into that duffel bag. I know there's plenty of feelings. I need to get them out and sort them. Oh, okay. Label them. All right. Give them. Get her like a nice, get a nice suitcase then. Nice. That's got like compartments and zippers and and stuff that might be better. I just like have to stop and cry like just a few times a day, at least once a day. It's like, I have to go cry now. My mom's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I just, um, it's a lot, it's like so much that I like, it just has to get out. Um, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, not the same thing, but I had trouble crying before the divorce. It was stuff that like. I don't know what happened when I was a kid, but I just learned that I shouldn't cry. And I grew up and was like, I wish I could cry. We'd have fights with Tabitha. And I'd try to explain to her that I was sad. I was like, I'm just not crying. I am sad. It just comes out as anger. But like, I don't, I'm not angry. I'm sad. I'm just, the only way I know how to express sadness is to yell and punch. (laughs) Not her. Uh, Just, just you know, Kyle esque walls and stuff. Which, oh, this is another weird tangent. But since this episode has gone off the rails anyway, I'll, I'll come back to it in a second. And when the divorce happened, I was suddenly so much better at crying, and I could cry. I did, not as much as you. You sound like you've definitely you're beating me. But like, it was a relief for me to finally be able to cry like I wanted to, and anything would make me 
uh, cry. And it was it was great. I I cry all the time at movies now, all the time. So you weren't like that before? No. Oh wow. No. The clo- the most I ever did. Why uh, I cried at uh, not even very much, but I cried at the end of Warrior in 2012, I think. Um, and there's no guys, guys, no warrior, <laughs> no Tom Hardy, Joel Edgerton. Uh, um, I almost called him Mickey Rourke, whatever his name is. It's not that, but it's a UFC movie. <laughs> it's a UFC fighting movie. So much better than you think it's going to be. Okay. It's like, people are like, you got to go see warrior. Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. Thank you. And I'm like, uh, the UFC movie. And like, you have to. And I went and I saw it. And uh, I I loved it. It's 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 a fantastic movie, and it's about brothers. And I sat and I cried at the end. And I remember being super because I was. This is the last one. The last. This is the end days of me and my sister. I was at the movie with Tabitha and my sister, and I was sitting between them. And uh, my sister caught me crying at the end and was like, Oh, you're such, you're so sad. That's so, I love that. And I, then I was like embarrassed and I hate it because I, at this point, uh, I knew what she had done to my brother. But I didn't know. I hadn't yet remembered what she had done to me, but like the movie made me think about my brother. And like, that's why like Tom Hardy really is a lot is similar to my brother. And, uh, I was just, I was crying about that, my relationship with him. And then like, she was there and intruding Ew. on it. And I made me, and I, so then I immediately stopped immediately stopped and like and I couldn't get it back and that's what I hated I was like I was so close to crying I was almost there and now I can't access like I was almost there and you ruined it right um and now like at post-divorce like way better crying I cried at the I didn't know that you're so good at it I I cry in movies over the the simplest thing I think weed also helps me cry but because I'm always high at the movie theater but just it just certain music will make me cry in movies now uh I cried at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home just because uh Zendaya and Tom are so innocent and charming and I believed their their love and I was like (gasps) and I cried at the end of it and it feels good I love crying at a movie i love it yeah that's fantastic i'm definitely still embarrassed about crying Mm. i cry at movies always kind of have i get anytime there's like a big eliciting of emotion i like it would like i would start to choke up but the shame would kick in really Mm -hmm. quick i was very embarrassed about crying when we first started whatever it is that we were doing that would make me cry remember i used to have a, a super negative reaction to Crying. Do you remember that? Are you talking about rape role play? What do no. you mean that thing we were doing? No, like when we started this relationship, when, oh, okay. when, the, when the when the conflict showed up, you know, then mm-hmm. um, when I would start to have emotion, I would have a very negative. You're very emotion. mad at yourself. Yeah. Maybe a, a little thing called shame. A little shame, yeah. A little shame. Well, that's it for this episode, I think. Again, sorry for venting and getting and getting loud i apologize but me too yeah we love you guys it's just sometimes we got to talk some stuff out i hope you understand and we'll catch you guys uh next time on mormon and the meth head if you put a mormon and a meth head together this is what they sound like aaron would all just read our friends listen to them talking to mike Mormon and the Mephead, Mormon and the Mephead
a podcast network. So here's what I was thinking about. We make a lot of jokes about Kyle's punching holes in walls. There's lots of memes about Kyle's punching holes in walls, right? right. Lots of jokes about drywall and everything. White dudes, yeah. White dudes punching drywall. And there are awful guys who are apparently all named Kyle and drink monster who um, are, are, are bad people. I don't know. And they punch walls to intimidate other people or whatever. They can't access their emo or fine, whatever we can, we can tease that. Sure. But like I was talking to my brother, uh, him and I both uh, have punched walls in, in our life. We, we do it. It's right. a, and we were talking about a, a movie mid nineties. That uh, was really good. It's like Jonah Hill's directorial debut about this little kid in the mid '90s who learns how to skateboard and stuff. But uh, was a surprising aspect of that film was a theme of self harm that you watched uh, this boy and like other like do things that like physically like harm themselves. You know, uh, like he ch- he chokes him. He has a fight with his brother and then he takes a Nintendo control. He goes to his room and takes a Nintendo controller and starts choking himself with it. And wow. that was very visceral for me because I remember choking myself uh, in second grade because, like, you just had these feelings, right? And uh, I started talking to Jeremy, and uh, and I just like exploring. I like exploring anger. I think it's an underrated, undervalued emotion. You just mostly get shamed for it. You're not supposed to get angry, but like we all do. We need releases, you know, and. I was talking to him about like how good it makes me feel to hit something. Like if I can if I can punch something, like it I I can release that anger and I can I can calm down. But it's not just it's not the punching thing. It's like like I uh like I don't want to hurt something or break something. It's the pain that my hand feels. Like I punch I'll punch something really hard and my knuckles will swell up. And that's what calms me down. Oh, it's like interesting. The pain is grounding. You're then you're like I'm in my head and like everything is a is a mess and the whole world is Flooded. ending. But then I feel physical pain, and I can focus on that. And now my hand hurts, and I and like and I'm calming down. You know, interesting. And so we then I. I then was like, okay, so then punching drywall is just like the male version of cutting. Not to say guys don't cut, guys do cut, but I think it's a more prevalent problem amongst girls. And you don't see any memes making fun of uh, of Krista for cutting. It's all just like, Kyle's punching drywall. And like I agree that there is an aspect of that that's funny that we can make fun of. There's like uh, a lot there that's just like, you don't, I don't think you understand, it just, it seems like and then I think this is a result of toxic masculinity because exactly we don't that. talk talk about our feelings. Like you just see someone with an anger problem, but like he's he's punching not and again not every instance, but like there's the guy is punching like the kid in the movie was doing stuff uh, not to intimidate anyone, not to uh, show how tough or strong he was or or anything like that. He was doing it to feel control. He needed to feel control because he was out of control. And that's the same reason people cut. It's the same reason. You just need you need to put that that energy somewhere and now suddenly you're 
you're back in you're back in control wow so let's maybe take it easy on the kyles you know like uh it's really coming full circle us as, uh <laughs> uniting as one consciousness as we're like now even inviting the kyles in now even them you know i really have had since doing that podcast with rob christensen have really started to like toxic masculinity is so sad for men and i know that like we were all like women were the victim of toxic masculinity, but like, so were men. Absolutely. We uh, had more benefits underneath the patriarchy than you did. Absolutely. But they were like, and I would remember when, when people would like try to fight against feminism, guys would be like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You th- we're, we're privileged. What about this? And then they would list something that was a negative effect of the patriarchy. Right. And you're like, dude, then you're on the same side, right? Like life will be a feminist world. will be better for everyone and not, exactly. it's not just women are inheriting the earth and, and we have to go fuck off. It's like, it's just going to be better for everyone. Yeah. Toxic masculinity was telling you guys who you needed to be and cutting you off from your own emotions and, and, um, your own, who you actually were as people and putting pressure on you and putting you in the boxes and it wasn't good for anybody. It wasn't healthy for anybody. Absolutely. I I think about my uh uh like my patrilineal line, like my dad and his dad, my son, his son. And I definitely learned I don't know, I maybe I would have just punched something innately. But I watched my dad punch holes and stuff. I watched my dad break stuff. For him, I think he had felt like he had made a huge stride because he didn't hit us. Like right. his dad hit him. His dad took sticks and hit him. His dad hurt him. And my dad would get so mad <laughs> at Jeremy. And then I remember him just destroying the wall in our kitchen. It already had a hole in it that he had to fix. So he was just like, well, I'll just fuck this whole wall up. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as a kid, I watched my dad do that because... um like the only the only way he ever saw his dad handle emotions was to hurt somebody. And I think my dad didn't like that and was like, I won't I'll be a better than that. And so he was like, I'm, I don't hit my kids. But like he still the only way my I saw my dad handle emotions was punching something. So then I started punching stuff, too. I uh, the. I punched a hole in that same house in my bedroom wall. Just uh, one day I punched a hole in it and then I, I was 12 years old and I used to, I remember cause I, so I had to have been punching way before then because I, I remember it. That was the first time that was like, I was like, Oh shit. Now I'm strong enough to punch through the wall. This is a problem. Cause I used to just punch and, and there, I would just hurt my hand, but no damage. Right. This time I punch and my fist goes through the wall and I'm like, I am fucked. So I took a Tony Gwynn poster and I put it up over the hole in the wall and I left it there for years until we moved out of that house when I was like 18 or 19 <laughs> years old. It was like, uh, we're moving. I take the poster down and we've like sold the house, you know, right. we've already done all the work on the house. And I was like, uh, dad, uh, father, uh, I don't know. It looks like there's a, there's a, a 12 year old fist sized hole in this wall that, uh, we're going to have to go to the store and buy paint and like stuff before we leave. So, I mean, like I, I learned that behavior 
And and I don't think that physicality is wrong. Like I think that like it gets shamed a lot. And I think that it is healthy to punch something. It's good. It's not bad. So I mean, I think Ethan will see me do that. Hopefully, I don't want to have like a meltdown in front of him and punch holes in the drywall, you know. But like uh, I have no uh, illusions about being perfect or anything. But I'm positive that Ethan will see me talk through my feelings more than that and he will see me like talk to him like i uh i i admit that i was mad and i say sorry to him all the time i'm like hey i think that's huge i'm like i got mad and i and i i was just mad about other stuff and i shouldn't have i shouldn't have reacted that way and i'm really sorry and then we like hug and we cry and we we talk about all this stuff i feel like i'm giving him a much wider a much bigger toolbox of emotional tools that he can use as he grows up. And I think he'll be a better dad than I was. And he'll, he'll probably, I mean, he is, I think he's going to be someone who's in touch with his emotions. He seems like it. You never know what happens in puberty, but uh, he seems like it now. And I bet he'll be a even better dad than I am. And then his kids will be better parents than he was. And we'll be in 12 D, uh, levitating and experiencing <laughs> everything at once. And it'll, it'll be, it'll be really good. 